Hey guys, just me again. We're going to put a trigger warning at the top of this episode because it deals with a sensitive subject. If this isn't for you, no worries. Skip on ahead to another episode. Please take care while you're listening and protect your own mental health. Hey, welcome to Legal Listening, where audio obiter is our thing. We're Carly and Zach, and we're so glad you're here with us today. Today we're bringing you a special bonus episode, brought to you in collaboration with the folks over at the Legal Writers Collective. Go on and check them out on our website or at legalwriterscollective.com. Hope you enjoy! The Queen and J.M. Court of Appeal for Ontario. On Appeal, heard May 29, 2020, by teleconference. On appeal from the conviction entered on June 4, 2018, and the sentence imposed on October 1, 2018, by Justice Alan G. Letourneau of the Ontario Court of Justice. The appellant was convicted of sexual assault and failing to comply with a youth court order. The appellant was 16 years of age at the time of the incident. His brother and the complainant were 15 years of age. The complainant and appellant testified at trial. There is no dispute that the complainant attended the appellant's residence and whiskey was consumed. Nor is there dispute that sexual activity took place or that the appellant had vaginal intercourse with the complainant while his brother placed his penis in her mouth. Nor is there dispute that the brothers traded positions a couple of times during the encounter in the basement of the appellant's home. Nor is there dispute that at some point after the sexual activity involving both brothers ended, the complainant and appellant were in the shower together and another act of sexual intercourse took place. The sole issue at trial was whether the complainant consented to the sexual activity. The complainant said none of it was consented to and that she cried through much of it and told them to stop. The appellant maintains it was all consented to. The trial judge gave lengthy reasons for judgment, which understandably focused upon questions of credibility and reliability. He explained why he rejected the appellant's evidence about consent and why he believed the complainant on this crucial point. The appeal is predicated on three alleged errors. First, the appellant argues that the trial judge misapprehended four points of evidence. With one exception, we do not agree that the points raised are properly characterized as misapprehensions of evidence. For instance, the appellant argues that the trial judge misapprehended the evidence when he characterized a text message sent by the appellant to the complainant as an admission against interest. The text message read, quote, shouldn't have tried it the second time, but I stopped when you told me to, end quote. We do not agree that the trial judge misapprehended the evidence about the text message. The trial judge simply drew an available inference from that evidence, considered in the context of all the evidence, that when the appellant acknowledged that he, quote, shouldn't have tried it a second time, end quote, he was acknowledging that he knew the complainant was not consenting. The appellant also takes issue with what he calls a trial judge's speculation when he opined that, quote, the complainant may have reasonably thought that screaming for help or telling the boy's mother that her sons had just raped her might endanger her further, end quote. This was not speculation. There was evidence that the appellant had told the complainant that his mother was a psycho. There is no misapprehension of evidence around this point. In any event, the impugned sentence was entirely irrelevant to the result. 
Whether the complainant raised a hue and cry during or immediately after the assault was irrelevant to whether she was sexually assaulted. The appellant also argues that the trial judge improperly speculated about why the appellant had sent a text message to the complainant shortly after the offense, suggesting that his brother had not been involved in the sexual activity. The appellant testified that he sent the message at a time when he could not recall his brother's involvement in the sexual activity. According to the appellant, he only recovered that memory at a later point in time. The trial judge rejected that explanation and concluded that the text message was motivated by the appellant's desire to, quote, see if it would cause the complainant to question her own recollection of the night's events and or to dissuade her from contacting the police, end quote. We see no improper speculation in this comment. It was open to the trial judge to reject the appellant's explanation as to why he had sent the message. It was also open to the trial judge to conclude that the message was sent for the exact purpose he articulated. While we agree that the trial judge misapprehended one piece of evidence regarding the timing of a message sent by the complainant to her mother, that misapprehension of evidence is immaterial to the verdict. Second, the appellant argues that the trial judge applied uneven scrutiny to the Crown and defense evidence. We do not agree. In our view, the trial judge engaged in a proper individualized assessment of the different evidence offered by the different witnesses, from the Queen and RR. One of the factors that the appellant points to as revealing uneven scrutiny of the evidence is how the trial judge dealt with the complainant's evidence as to whether she changed into her shorts in the washroom. The appellant argues that she was inconsistent on this point, and if the trial judge had applied even scrutiny, this inconsistency would have damaged her credibility. We do not agree that this point demonstrates uneven scrutiny of the evidence. This is a repeat of the argument from trial, an argument that the trial judge specifically dealt with and disposed of. He simply concluded that there was no inconsistency in the evidence. That was a factual conclusion that the record supported and he was entitled to arrive at it. Finally, the appellant raises other concerns about the trial judge's credibility assessments. Credibility assessments are owed strong deference from the Queen and RA. We see nothing that would cause us to interfere with those findings. The appellant maintains that the trial judge erred when he concluded that the appellant was upset after the sexual encounter because he knew that he had raped the complainant, quote, and was deeply troubled regarding the prospect of her going to the police and reporting the rape, end quote. The appellant objects to the trial judge's conclusion on this issue. He maintains that his upset was caused by the fact that his marijuana was missing and he realized that he had just cheated on his girlfriend. That may have been his position at trial, but the trial judge acknowledged it and rejected it. He was entitled to do so, and we would not interfere with that finding. The appellant also argues that the complainant had a strong motive to fabricate the allegations, particularly given that she was confronted by the appellant's girlfriend about the sexual encounter the morning after it occurred and before she had reported anything. Again, the trial judge was alive to this defense argument. He specifically addressed it. He stated the law on motive to fabricate correctly. He accepted the complainant's evidence that she did not disclose the offense before her communications with the appellant's girlfriend because she was still processing how to deal with the matter. This was a conclusion available on the record and one that is well explained in his reasons. The appeal is dismissed. Thanks for the listen, friend. I hope you're able to enjoy that case and learn something new from it. Legal Listening is founded by Zach Battiston and Carly Lyons. It is hosted by Zach Battiston, Carly Lyons, and you, our listeners. 
Executive produced by Zach Battiston, Carly Lyons, and Anthony Rademeyer. Audio engineering by Anthony Rademeyer. Graphic design by Julie Lundy. Check her out online at julielundyart.com. And music done by Matt Rademeyer at radandkel.com. At Legal Listening, we're always open to new ideas, suggestions, and of course, guest readers. Check us out on Twitter at Legal Listening or online at legallistening.com. Legal Listening, where audio obiter is our thing. We'll catch you in the next case. Bye now.